Good morning. I am delighted to have the opportunity to preach uh, one more time uh, as I move towards the conclusion of this phase of my ministry at Tyndale. Uh, Please join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, help us to attend to your living word that we may hear what the Spirit is saying to us, your church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. On the morning of January 7th, 2015, two gunmen burst into the office of the French satirical newspaper Charlie Hebdo. They opened fire, killing 12, wounding an additional 11. The two young men were brothers of Algerian descent who had come to identify with the Islamic terrorist group Al-Qaeda in Yemen. The two men took issue with the newspaper's practice of printing embarrassing cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad in its pages. The shooting evoked an almost instantaneous online response. The hashtag, Je suis Charlie, or in English, I am Charlie, began to post, began to trend on Twitter. People began to post selfies in which they were seen holding up signs with the tagline, Je suis Charlie. The immediate and far-ranging response to the shootings seems to suggest that compassion is alive and well in our internet age. Not so fast, says one commentator. Here's what he wrote. Terrorists raid a magazine headquarters and shoot people, and the first response is for millions of people to flood Twitter with clever hashtags? All of this seems like a peculiar way to react to an act of terrorism. If I were feeling cynical, he writes, I'd say that Charlie Hebdo is being used by some people as a social media opportunity complete with Twitter hashtags and memes. It is an excuse for people to take selfies and identify with a cause to show people how civilized they are. Now we could debate about whether the commentator is correctly interpreting the psychology of selfies, but it seems hard to deny that tweeting and selfies are rather abstract and a rather disconnected reaction to horrific evils or crushing tragedies. They may be expressions of empathy or solidarity, but they are not expressions of compassion. Compassion does not remain at a distance. Compassion cannot remain cordoned off in virtual worlds separated by screens. Rather, true compassion always enters into the concrete pain and suffering of another. If we break the word compassion down to its t- constituent parts, we see that this is literally what the word means. The word compassion is derived from the Latin preposition cum, meaning with, and the noun passio, meaning suffering. If compassion means suffering with another, 
then compassion is inseparably tied to presence. This brings us to our first scripture reading. Moses has been through a difficult ordeal and he wants to know that God is present with him. So Moses asks God, in a sense, to show him a selfie. What Moses literally says is, now show me your glory. In the response that he receives from the Lord, Moses is reminded that God is God. God is not simply another thing in the world, even the biggest and best thing in the world. Rather, the Lord is the creator of heaven and earth. You cannot see my face, says the Lord, for no one may see me and live. In other words, no selfie for you. Instead, the Lord makes a clever arrangement with Moses where Moses is hid in the cleft of a rock covered by the hand of God. Only after the Lord has passed by will he remove his hand and allow Moses to see his backside. So Moses doesn't get the divine selfie he is looking for. But, but he does receive a tweet. In Exodus 34, six to seven, we read that as the Lord passed by, he proclaimed his name, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. The Lord's proclamation of his name in Exodus 34, six to seven, comes in at around 320 characters in the English translation, which slightly exceeds the length of a tweet, even after Twitter doubled the maximum tweet length last year. But the shortened form, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. This phrase is retweeted throughout scripture. It's found on the lips of King Hezekiah and Nehemiah, the prophets Jonah and Joel and throughout the Psalter. We could say that the tweet, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love, we could say that this tweet is trending in the Bible. But a significant question surfaces at this point, perhaps one that's already crossed your minds. Namely, can the character of God really be reduced to a tweet of less than 280 characters? Or to put it another way, is it possible to distill the testimony of scripture down to a single phrase or sentence that represents a 100 proof representation of the God of the gospel? I don't think it is. And I would suggest to you that we actually have no idea about what it means to say the Lord is gracious and compassionate, apart from reckoning with how the Lord has concretely displayed his compassion 
towards his people in history as attested for us in scripture. Otherwise, we're just making stuff up and projecting our own conceptions of grace and compassion onto a God of our own making. Interestingly, this is exactly the type of undertaking that the Israelites had been involved in immediately prior to our passage, which makes the Lord's announcement of his compassionate and gracious identity all the more striking. Allow me to rehash the events that led up to our passage from Exodus. The book of Exodus begins with the descendants of the patriarchs, the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob groaning in slavery under the fetters of their cruel Egyptian taskmasters. The Lord heard the groaning of his people and with an outstretched arm brought his people up out of slavery in Egypt amidst many mighty signs and wonders. By a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, God led his people through the wilderness to the mountain of the Lord. Here at Sinai, the Lord entered into covenant with his people, claiming this band of former slaves as his treasured possession. He would be their God and they would be his people. However, while Moses was up on the mountain receiving the very conditions of the covenant, down below, the people of Israel were already breaking the first and second of the Ten Commandments. They went to Moses' brother Aaron and insisted that he fashion for them an idol. This golden calf episode was a serious blemish upon the resume of God's people. In fact, it rightfully disqualified them from being God's people at all. Yet Moses stepped into the breach and interceded for the people, securing not only God's forgiveness, but also the promise of God's continuing presence in the midst of the people. This is the context in which the Lord announces his name to Moses. In declaring himself the compassionate and gracious God, the Lord is not sending a tweet from the safety of his heavenly living room. Rather, these are the words of the Holy One who has drawn near, promising to bear with his stiff-necked people, even at the cost of personally suffering the offense of their sin. The refusal of the holy God to remain at a distance from the struggles of his people in a sin-shattered world is perhaps the thread that unites all of scripture. The compassionate and gracious God does not remain safely locked up in a realm of celestial security, but he draws near in flesh and bone, in gentle breath, and gusting wind. It is the compassion of God that leads directly to the passion of Christ. As John the Evangelist has famously put it, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. A similar train of thought was reflected in our reading from 2 Corinthians where Paul speaks of the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. 
God denied Moses' request for a selfie, but it is God who has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. In other words, Jesus is God's selfie. Yet Jesus as God's selfie looks much different from many of our selfies, whereas our selfies may serve to show how alert and aligned we are with the prevailing cultural trends and values, the image of God we see reflected in the person of Christ is the portrait of one who has run afoul of the powers that be and is subject to the public shaming and humiliation of being crucified on a cruel Roman cross. Whereas we take numerous selfies until we find just the right angle that casts us in the most flattering light. And then we don't stop there. We take that picture and then run it through numerous filters until we find just the right image to present to the world. While we do that, the prophet Isaiah tells us that Jesus had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Our selfies so often seem to be about self-promotion and social climbing, but in the person of Christ, we see that the compassion of God takes the form of radical downward mobility. God did not stay at a safe distance, but entered into the very midst of our broken world in order to heal it from the inside. God does not remain distant, but in his compassion he draws near, even to the point of being so near that God is nearer to us than we are to ourselves. He sends the spirit of the Son into our hearts so that even we who are Gentiles, and remember in scripture the Gentiles are first and foremost known for being the preeminent idolaters, God sends the spirit of the son into our hearts so that even we Gentiles may be included in the covenant and call upon the true and living God as our Abba, our Father. Through the Holy Spirit, a people are caught up in the current of God's compassion, enabling them to move beyond self-centered concerns in order to be concretely present to their neighbors in the midst of their need and suffering. Interestingly, those who have died to selfie are fashioned by the spirits into images of the one who is the image of God. This spiritual reality was on display in the life of Christiane de Cherguet. As a young man, Christiane served as an officer in the French military during the Algerian war. He befriended a local policeman an Algerian Muslim man and father of 10 children named Muhammad. One evening, Muhammad saved Christian's life by shielding him from an assassination attempt. The next morning, Muhammad was found murdered. Reflecting back upon these events, Christian was led to write, in the blood of this friend, I knew that my calling to follow Christ meant to live sooner or later in the country where it was given to me the greatest gift of love. 
Christiane became a Trappist monk and entered the monastery of Our Lady of Atlas in Tiberin, Algeria. He was soon appointed prior or leader of the abbey. The monks had developed a special relationship with their Muslim neighbors in the village of Tiberin. They had established a primary school for the children of the village. They'd set up a cooperative gardening project and assisted villagers with financing and distributing their olive oil. One monk, Brother Luke, ran a medical clinic out of the monastery where he had cared for the health needs of the villagers for over five decades. The monastery itself became a peaceful place of meeting and dialogue between Muslims and Christians. The villagers had come to love and respect the brothers as they witnessed their deep commitment to the life of prayer and their compassionate service in the midst of the village. The rise of an Islamic militant group in the early 90s threw Algeria into the chaos of civil war. During this period, as many as 200,000 Algerians lost their lives, and Christiane and his fellow monks were left as the only remaining Christians in the region. In December of 1993, the armed Islamic group GIA issued an ultimatum demanding that all foreigners leave the country. The remarkable film entitled Of Gods and Men depicts the events in the life of the monastery following the issuing of the ultimatum as the brothers wrestled with the question of whether they should leave Algeria. Eventually, they came to recognize that fleeing Algeria would mean abandoning the villagers whom God had called them to serve. Compassion does not keep its distance. The brothers would be staying put. They would be sustained by God's presence. Early in the morning of March 27th, 1996, 20 armed men burst into the monastery and kidnapped Christiane and six of the other brothers. Two months later, a message from the terrorist group announced that the monks had been beheaded. The brothers had reckoned with this possibility and Brother Christian had even penned a last testament to be opened should his life be taken. Here are some of the words Christian wrote in that last will and testament. If it should happen one day, and it could be today, that I become a victim of the terrorism which now seems ready to engulf all the foreigners living in Algeria, I would like my community, my church, and my family to remember that my life was given to God and to this country. I could not desire such a death. It seems to me important to state this. It would be too high a price to pay for what will perhaps be called the grace of martyrdom to owe it to an Algerian whoever he might be, especially if he says he is acting in fidelity to what he believes to be Islam. It is too easy to soothe one's conscience by identifying this religious way with the fundamentalist ideology of its extremists. He continues a little later, for this life lost, totally mine and totally theirs, I thank God who seems to have willed it entirely for the sake of that joy in everything and in spite of everything. 
In this thank you, which is said for everything in my life from now on, I certainly include you, friends of yesterday and today, and you, my friends of this place, along with my mother and father, my sisters and brothers and their families. You are the hundredfold granted, as was promised. And also you, my last minute friend, who will not have known what you were doing. Yes, I want this thank you and this goodbye to be a God bless for you too. Because in God's face, I see yours. May we meet again as happy thieves in paradise, if it please God, the Father of us both. Through the Holy Spirit, the lives of Christiane and his fellow monks became transparent to the compassion of God revealed in the passion of Christ. The letter of the martyr Christiane points us to that of another Christian martyr, the Apostle Paul, who wrote, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. For the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Amen. And now may you go into all the world to fulfill your high calling as disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, being continually conformed to the image of our Lord and Master and the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you go, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the the Lord make the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you, give you his peace. Amen.